Today's episode of Beyond the Rut is sponsored by Capshow, which is the ultimate AI content marketer for entrepreneurs who podcast, vlog, or live stream like yours truly. Stay tuned throughout this episode to discover more ways you can use Capshow for your content. For now, let's get straight into the episode. Welcome to Beyond the Rut, the weekly podcast about equipping and inspiring you to make your own path and live the life you've always dreamed of, Beyond the Rut. I'm one of your hosts, Jerry Dugan, and in just a moment, Brandon Cunningham is going to join us as we have a discussion with Tim Lewis out of London, England. Now, Tim had a great corporate job, a very good, solid job. In fact, many people on the outside looking in would say that he got paid well, he had great benefits, he was a manager, he was moving up the corporate ladder, yet deep down inside, he just wasn't finding fulfillment in his work. So when the opportunity came, he eventually made the leap to become a full-time author and to write books and publish them himself. He currently is the host of the podcast, Begin Self-Publishing, and he's got his own press, southampress.com. And we're going to talk about that transition. How did it take him two years to build himself up enough to have the things in place to make that transition? And what was his inspiration to finally make that leap? And it, it's a tragic story. It's a, a story of love, and you don't want to miss this because Tim opened up his heart to us and shared this moment, and we're just so grateful for it. So don't waste that moment. Listen to this episode and apply these lessons and insights to your own life and go for it. Whatever your dream is, just do it. So kick back, relax, unless you're driving, then stay alert and keep your head on a swivel as we begin this discussion with Tim Lewis. Here we go. All right, Brandon, welcome back to your own show. Hope you've been doing well. Awkward pause. There you go. <laughs> I'm great. He'll edit that out later. <laughs> yeah, because I do this thing called truncate silence. <laughs> and you're just going to randomly say awkward pause and people are like, what pause? pause. <laughs> awesome. We've got calling in from uh, England, uh, Tim Lewis, author, podcaster. How are you doing, Tim? I'm doing fine, thank you. And awesome. I'm not going to do any awkward <laughs> you guys are giving me a challenge here on this edit. There you go. See how well you pay attention. I got to remember these two awkward pauses and keep them in if I can. All right. Uh, so, Tim, thank you for joining us. And uh, I, I already gave you a warning. I like to open up with a, a little bit of an icebreaker so that our audience gets to gets to know you on a different level before we start diving into your story and uh, in your professional life and business life. Uh, so the question I've got is uh, my, my good friend, Brandon here, uh, his claim to fame is that he's been blocked by Rob Lowe on Twitter. And <laughs> I, I figured, you know, if we can't get Renee Zellweger on the show, we may as well let the world know that uh, if you want to block somebody on Twitter, it's Brandon, uh, especially you if you're go. a fan of Rob Lowe. Uh, <laughs> so <laughs> my real question for you, uh, my icebreaker question is, if Brandon somehow managed to get Rob Lowe, the actor, to sit down and have a tea time with Brandon, uh, what <laughs> flavor tea would you recommend Brandon order for Rob? Ooh, I don't know. Um, I would actually probably suggest, given that, political issue there that you actually just ask Rob what kind of tea he wants <laughs> rather than just taking the risk of buying one. But if you if you had to, I'd just go with some sort of standard like breakfast tea of some variety. Um no. rather than like trying because otherwise you're gonna be taking the odds that you might hate Earl Grey or something <laughs> like that. Uh, and uh even if you go for a very expensive tea 
it, you don't know. He may not even he may not even like tea. That's true. And, and you don't want to be on getting onto some sort of combined Hollywood <laughs> blacklist. Oh, I know. Where they all they all ban you. <laughs> that would be the next level. There you get you not just blocked by Rob. You get blocked by all of Rob's people. Yeah. <laughs> he does some sort of uh, what is it? A public announcement thing. <laughs> It's a PSA. Yeah. At, <laughs> boycott you at care about this C. world. Boycott this guy on Twitter. <laughs> but follow Beyond the Rut. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, that would be hilarious. In the Rut, the sequel. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> oh, man. That's oh, it's funny. I, I'm that. Well, I know he was in that movie Oxford Blues, I think, or something oh, I like that. I haven't seen that so, yet. Yeah. So maybe he, he likes tea. Yeah. There, yeah, you never know. <laughs> All right. Well, we didn't get you on to, to get just tea advice for Rob Lowe in case Brendan ever did get to meet with him. Uh, uh, you have a really cool story that you shared with me a little bit on Facebook through, uh, it, it was uh, the Podcast Movement Facebook page with Jared Easley, just getting that name drop in there so we can thank Jared for connecting us. Uh, and it was, you'd shared with me that uh, you had a kind of a corporate job or a job that you that was really good you yeah. know by everybody's standards it was a great job great pay uh, probably really good benefits but deep down inside it wasn't fulfilling for you and and that's one of the biggest things we've come across with our audience is that they have good jobs good benefits uh compensation compensation yeah i can't say the <laughs> word compensation packages are something to be envied yet then when you ask them do they love their work do they feel fulfilled by it a lot of them say no they don't they really wish they had done something else we got one friend in particular who's been wanting to write a book forever and a great writer just he won't pull the trigger and, and mm-hmm. put his book together and then we came across you and we're like all right our friend who we're not going to name uh needs to hear Tim's story. So uh, tell us about that that job and, and what made it unfulfilling for you and, and what was going on deep down inside that, that made you want to make that leap? Well, what that job was, was um, I was a manager of a team of people at a finance company, basically working on a huge IT system. Uh, I think at one stage about, let's say a quarter of the world's trades went through that system. It was kind of the back office oh, wow. one. It wasn't like uh, one of these sort of flashy sort of uh, high-tech <laughs> ones, but the one at the back that did all the boring stuff like invoicing and the rest of it. There you go. Um, and I'd moved from being like a, just a coder to a programmer to being like a manager. of. I was managing about like 13 people at the time. And actually, I'd had the uh, the... I kind of enjoyed it a little bit, and I was—I've been doing it for like ooh, so that particular job for about sort of five to eight years, something along those lines. But I'd been at the company for like fifteen years, uh, and I had a change. I had a new boss come in who—he was, he was from a different department, let's say, and he was a nice enough guy, but I didn't really get on with him that well. And he kind of thought he knew everything, so that was one of the catalysts that was kind of like, yeah, kind of, but. but what it was was that I was basically coming into work and I was thinking, like, I'm just not really enjoying this at all. You know, when you kind of like, you just have that daily kind of grind and it's kind <laughs> of like, it starts wearing you down. And I mean, as, it, as we were talking in the pre chat, I was in the position where I'd been widowed in 2011, and I can talk about that a little bit later if you like. Yeah. Um, so I actually have like a pension coming in, not a huge amount of money, and I paid off my mortgage. So compared to a lot of people, I actually had the financial means to do something else to potentially start my own business. But it still took me, in effect, about two years 
uh, from that time when I was mortgage free to actually giving my notice in. Uh, <laughs> and even then I ended up, it was still like another nine months or so before I actually finished because they paid me on a contract for like three days a week. So uh, what took you so long to, to pull that trigger? Um, it's just that jump. <laughs> the funny thing is the other day I was like, I was looking in one of my drawers in, in my bedroom. Um, it sounds a bit, a bit weird, but no. <laughs> not talking underwear. Everybody He's talking about like a dresser. And, uh, it's an audio podcast. Like this whole, uh, the whole group of like papers. And it was just copies I had done of my resignation letter to different named <laughs> bosses. And they were like, it was about six months of time period. That's and awesome. I had taken the letters in and I had not given them to like, I'd written it out, printed it out, like, this is the time I'm going to resign. <laughs> <laughs> and, the, and the funny thing was that um, it was just the little, the little wafer thing, thin thing that made me actually go, which was I was asked to make some people redundant, and that coincided exactly with my 15th anniversary at the company. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so I had, like, one thing I didn't want to make these people redundant. Uh, I mean, what... Uh, I mean, whether they should have been made redundant or not is kind of like a moot point. And the other was like, well, I've got an excuse. I've got, like, the value <laughs> I can say, I've been here 15 years and I think this is the day to, to quit. Wow. So I had a positive excuse and I had a negative excuse for doing it. Not, well, not an excuse, but a reason, let's say. Mm-hmm. So that particular day I did it and it was just such a relief. <laughs> I can't tell you because this had been like a, a burden or something I had been, because, you know, you end up talking to people and they always think like, well, he's not actually going to quit his job. He's not right. actually going to do it. He's just saying it. He says Because uh, the trouble is it's very easy to get like somebody says, I'm going to write a book. I'm going to write a book. I'm going to write a book. A lot of the time they do want to in their conscious mind, but it's bringing their unconscious mind with them, overcoming that kind of fear within themselves. Um, and... It's kind of that catching up between the conscious and unconscious mind. I think that it, it requires uh, something to kind of push you to think like, I'm actually going to do something more than out of the ordinary and get out of your, your rut, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Right. I, I believe most people are like that. There's something they want to do. Maybe it's not quit a job, but maybe it's just ask a girl out or, or move or start a hobby or write a book or do something. And that, Fear just keeps like 99% of people from doing that. But then, like you said, you do it and it feels like that big lead blanket's been taken off of you and you just yeah. feel like you're, you could float at this point. Oh, yeah. I mean, the thing is, I mean, I, I, I've now I've written like six books. <laughs> um, none of them sell that well, to be honest. Uh, <laughs> I've done a podcast for like two years about self-publishing. Uh, I've written a guide about podcasting for a non-profit. Uh, I've done all sorts of things and I'm working on a book about social media at the moment, but I still have no regrets whatsoever about that decision. Right. Um, That's a common thing. Yeah. Yeah. Because you get to just kind of move forward on your terms. So being financially successful or, you know, maybe one of those books didn't sell a billion copies or something, but you're on your terms now. You're not doing things somebody else is telling you to do. And the thing is that what people don't appreciate is how much money you spend on work, <laughs> as in, like, commuting or gas or, like, rail costs. 
And even when you're in the office, you tend to spend more money because you're keeping up with the other people in the office where they're spending. <laughs> and a lot of the time people use spending as a way to kind of overcome their emotional problems. Mm, right. So once you give up the crappy job that you don't really like, <laughs> your costs do go down a lot. Now, obviously, if you've got a family, then that makes a, a difference. But even there, there's all this competitive kind of um, that everybody's like, oh, yes, I'm socially standing myself. So I'm going to buy the <laughs> sit down lawnmower and drive around my own because the person <laughs> next door to me and like everybody's moving house all the time away from a house where they could actually just survive and it's kind of like have a, a, a nice, they have to get to the nicer area and you end up in this kind of, and that's certainly true about London as a city and right. it's true with New York as well. Oh yeah. That people are always like moving in and getting a bigger and bigger, bigger house and bigger, but they're just like, they're not really happy with it. Um, <laughs> but once you jump off that kind of rat race rut, so to speak, yep. life changes a lot. Oh, it does big time. I, I remember reading a book called uh, The Millionaire Next Door, mm -hmm. eye-opener for me, because uh, just the opening chapter talks about how they they had set out this table with a spread of like different wines and, and elegant foods, and just millionaire after millionaire who had come into the, the, the room, you know, they drove up in like a, a used car, a dependable used car. They, mm -hmm. they stepped out of the car, and they're expecting a nice flashy suit, and these guys had, you know denim jeans on and a button up flannel shirt. And every time they saw that spread of food, they were just not impressed. They're like, Oh, okay. Um, you got anything else? Right. <laughs> and, uh, and they, I remember they asked the first guy like, well, what do you like? Well, I like beer. What kind of beer do you want? Well, they only like two kinds of beer, Bud Light and free. So either <laughs> exactly. of those will be fine. Yep. <laughs> and, uh, and then they realized these guys are so down to earth and they, they're not really about keeping up with the Joneses. They were about building their, their net worth to take care of their families. And then they had one guy who came in with a flashy car, flashy suit, and talked up his his big game of all the, all these status symbols. And then when they dug deeper, it turns out he was a, a total fraud. Everything was built yep. up on debt, and the guy eventually had like uh, gone bankrupt. And and so mm -hmm. they didn't use any of his information other than what not to do or what the the antithesis was to all these millionaires. And talking about like that that rut of. You know, keeping up with the Joneses. I don't know if that's a phrase used in England or not, but in the U.S., yeah, that's exactly. yeah. Well, it's kind of like you said too. When you're not in the office, you're you you sometimes think, well, if I start this job, if I quit this job and start my own business, I can't afford it. But you don't factor in the cost of that two-hour commute. You know, one way there and back, clothes yeah. and and birthday parties and all the events that happen at church and st or at church at at work. <laughs> uh, Sometimes you, if you factor in your time, I was talking to our, our uh, good friends, Jamie and uh, Dora, that uh, they they need to price their product different. They have their own business now. And I said, you've got to yeah. value your time because you can't say, well, I can only charge $10 for this. you got to make a price for your time. And once you start to think of your time as a dollar value, it changes how you view things. Stay with us. We'll be right back. And now let's talk about how you can use Capshow to repurpose and market your content. If you have a business like me, you can upload your cornerstone long-form content, like podcast episodes or YouTube videos, into Capshow, and it will create all your content marketing assets for you. And here's the coolest part. Capshow is more than just a robotic AI tool. It's a powerful blend of artificial and human intelligence designed by marketers to help you organically reach more of the right people on more platforms. 
Go to beyondtherut.com slash capshow, that's C-A-P-S-H-O, and start your 14-day trial and see for yourself. Now, back to the show. Oh, yeah. I mean, there are downsides to uh, to the jump into your own business. Um, not that I would, again, I would recommend it kind of as a, it's worth, if, you've got, if you're unhappy with your job, it's worth making the leap. Right. But what I did is then I went to, like, working from home, and I didn't appreciate how much of an extrovert I was until I started working <laughs> from home. Um, I mean, the thing is that, People often confuse being an introvert or an extrovert with being shy, and they're not the same thing. Mm-hmm. Being an introvert means you get energy from spending time on your own. And if you're an extrovert, you get energy from spending time with other people. So it's perfectly possible to be a shy person, but also an extrovert, as I discovered. Right. Because I was like, I went from being in an office five days a week with other people to being on my own at home. And I noticed my productivity starting to wane away. <laughs> now, a lot of that I've managed to get back by going to as many conferences and meeting people as much as possible and trying to interact with people locally. And also social media helps a lot. That's why I'm on social media a lot because you do need to keep those connections with people. Um, and also the other big thing is because you get so used to being told what to do um, in a job. And then you've got this situation where you're suddenly in charge. Yeah. <laughs> and while that's great, we all kind of like need uh, – this is why I think a lot of entrepreneurs end up with some sort of guru or person that they follow because it's filling in that sort of father figure, uh, parental issue that people have. You could say that in some ways we're always trying to replace our parents with something, whether that be religion or whether a boss at work or – a guru or whatever. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, that's that's one of the interesting challenges about when you're branching out on your own. Right. Now, during this time, you were uh, writing many, many resignation letters. Things were going pretty <laughs> good and stuff. But then then you really faced some some major tragedy and some major issue in your in your life. I mean, talk a little bit about that and kind of how you approached it and, and how maybe you reassessed your time and your focus, what you were spending your time on. Well, this was actually, this was considerably before my resignation letter <laughs> writing. Um, this was it. In 2009, uh, well, I, I got married in 2007, but uh, my wife basically, I met my wife in 2009 after work, and it was clear to me that, well, she she knew as well that she was having a stroke. Uh, so we, she basically was rushed off to hospital. Uh, and then for about two years, she was quite severely disabled. She spent a year in hospital. Mm-hmm. And then when she came home, she was like paralyzed on her uh, left hand side. So she was like, well, yeah. so for a year, I was doing sort of caring work. And that, while that in many ways was terrible, uh, and I wouldn't wish it on anybody, it did give me a, a kind of a reaffirmation that life is short and you have to make the most of it because you don't you don't know that you're not going to get like run over or hit by space aliens or have a stroke or have a health (laughs) issue and i saw so many and this is one of the things i had in the back of my mind was pushing me towards doing different things in that you get all of these people saying i'm going to retire at 60 and travel around the world you don't know what your health's going to be like when you're 60 oh yeah 
I mean, I've known people who have worked until they're like 60-odd and then retired, and they were going to do all of these things, and they've not been capable to capable of doing it because they'd be too ill. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they're like, well, maybe I won't travel the world and do this sort of take the train across Australia or whatever. I'll just <laughs> go to the south coast of England and do right. it. Yeah. Um, so it was one of those like eye-openers in terms of just like you – it's so easy to think that everything's going to stay the same, same as it is. Right. Uh, and that you, there isn't a great rush to change your life, <laughs> but actually there is. <laughs> right. Uh, it, even though I'm a terrible example, because I say it took me two, three years <laughs> after that, after Rachel eventually died in 2011 to give in my notice and to do like something different with my life. But it is something I'm still mindful of now because I, I see myself creeping towards another rut of where you just keep doing the same stuff all the time. Right. And you almost have to keep kind of looking for those ruts and then pulling yourself out of them. Exactly. Um, we we talked at one time about, you know, sometimes a, a, a rut can become a groove and you can really just start to move along and you're doing good and everything's <laughs> fine, but you still need to kind of bring yourself out of that and make yeah. sure that you don't stay down that same path. Because you just don't know, you know, your plan means nothing, you know, in the overall scheme of things, you could be gone tomorrow or you could live another 50, 60 years, who knows, <laughs> but you never want to stay kind of steady moving in the same direction. You want to always kind of disrupt that. And I just extent. heard somebody on Twitter say, well, heard, I read somebody on Twitter say uh, a rut is essentially a groove that's gone bad. Right. And I was like, that's I'm true. totally going to use that. So I did. Here it is. Yeah, he has, I find he out has audio it. Twitter, so that's why he hears Twitter. Yeah. Hey, there <laughs> are technology services for that, for the hearing impaired. Oh, yeah. so. oh no, yeah. no, the other way, um, the, the guys who can't see, blind. There you go. There we go. Because <laughs> <laughs> you're hearing impaired, you can't hear the audio. What's wrong with me? All right, I'm back. <clears throat> Woo! Can't read. <laughs> yeah, I mean, one of the things that I saw on Facebook the other day, which I think is an issue that some people have with online or the new economy business, it's just a it's a misunderstanding of finance some people have. Mm-hmm. So if I if I well, I can chide you if you say the wrong answer here, but I'll ask you the question somebody asked on Facebook. Would you rather be given a million dollars right now or be given twenty thousand dollars per month for the rest of your life? Easily a million now. Hmm. <laughs> oh Jerry. Oh, we just had this whole discussion about we don't know when we're going. Exactly. And if I manage the million properly, I'm going to say million now. Well, I would say you want the 20000 a month answer. <laughs> so you're both wrong, in my opinion. <laughs> now, there, there is a whole load of finance. I mean, to be fair, I did work in finance for like 15 years, as kind of, and I did do an economics degree. But the reason is that you need to think that like money, wealth, and income are interchangeable. Mm-hmm. To actually get an income of twenty thousand pound a month, or twenty thousand dollars a month, twenty thousand whatever <laughs> Bitcoin a month, you need yes. to be. You need to be. If you had a million dollars that you invested in a bank, you would need to be getting a twenty-five percent interest rate on that to earn twenty thousand oh. dollars a month. So, if you think about it, that is the thing to go for. But. What surprised me was about 95% of the people on that post gave the, they take the million dollars now. So you're basically saying you're so confident in your business that you're going to make 25% of 
a year gain, and that's what you're going to be earning forever. <laughs> See, my thinking was I put it in the bank, earn 10%, live off of that, and never have to do anything again. Because we're not keeping up with the Joneses. <laughs> yeah. Boom. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> the thing is that you could keep 20, you, you, if you took the 20,000 a month option, you'd be getting 20,000 rather than 10%. So that's 100. So you'd be getting 120,000 a year rather than 100,000 a year, which is 10% interest. Right. So, I mean, this is the whole thing about it. That's true. She's just interesting. We have a we have a guy in uh, the U.S., Dave Ramsey, that always says, you know, Americans are very bad about buying something to impress somebody they don't even like. You know, we will yeah. buy that big, nice car that stretches our budget on car payments and insurance mm-hmm. just to impress you, who we don't even really like and you don't care. <laughs> that mentality <laughs> oh, just doesn't make any oh, sense. You don't like me already. <laughs> <laughs> I learned when I was working in real estate as a real estate agent. That the the whole mortgage industry is built off the idea of somebody who does a nine to five job and gets paid every two weeks, who can take on a thirty year note. Because, yep. and, and I thought, wow, that's crazy. And the reason why I learned this is because some of my clients were business owners, so they don't mm-hmm. have a biweekly income statement that they can show off or a mm-hmm. a, a pay stub. And so what they had to go with were like. It was actually harder for a business owner who had actual cash in hand for a down payment and really needed a small loan. It was harder for that guy to get a loan than the person who had to fully finance like 90% or 100% of their home. And I'm thinking, this guy is coming with half the money in cash and you're giving him a hard time to come in with like five years worth of tax statements and, and income statements or, you know, balance sheets and everything and, and, uh, projections for business for the next 30 yep. years. I'm like, the guy wants a five year note for like $50,000. I mean, like what, why is this so hard? And, and then I realized if he had just come in and said, yeah, I work for such and such corporation earn this much every two weeks, yep. they would have said, all right, here's the, the loan for the whole price of the house. And he's <laughs> like, I, I don't want that. So it was just, uh, it's our loan system is built upon you being, uh, committed to working for a company for your whole life. And there's no that, no that freedom, I guess. And that's why there's no rundown banks that look really bad. Just like there's no small publishing companies, you know, the big guys all own everything. So you decided, Hey, I'm going to start my own publishing company and teach people how to self publish. How's that for a transition? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Very, very deaf. It's always a great thing to use the word deft. There were some <laughs> words that are just like fantastic. Uh, there you use, go. Or, or segue. It was a great segue. <laughs> great segue. There you uh, go. <laughs> yes. I mean, so far I've self-published my own books. Uh, I'm working towards doing sort of training towards self-publishing towards other people. But actually self-publishing is one of those areas where it's trans- been transformed mainly by Amazon. Um, oh, yeah. Because ebooks, what people don't appreciate, like if you self-publish a book on Kindle, uh, so an ebook, that, and that doesn't actually have to be just on the Kindle device anymore. That can be on the Kindle app on your iPhone or your iPad. Right. If you sell a book that's between two ninety nine dollars and nine ninety nine dollars, you will receive seventy percent of that as royalties. So if you've got like a five or four ninety nine book on Amazon and you sell a thousand copies of it. That's quite a lot of money that can come in. Right. Uh, so, ebooks have transformed self-publishing because for paperback books uh, and traditional paper, uh, while there's the thing called print-on-demand, so what is what that means is that 
if you order one of my books on on Amazon, that sends a little signal through to Amazon and their printing works, and they print off one copy of the book and send it to you. Right. Um, so that's the other great innovation in the self-publishing space. But you are paying for the book and the publishing costs, and it's more expensive to print on demand than to do a big print run, which is what the big publishers will do. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of the reasons why there isn't much in the way of self-publishing in bookstores is because the economics of bookstores is quite different in as much as a bookstore will take half the half the um, sale value of the book to begin with. So you're paying for the printing costs still minus whatever cut you've got, and then if it doesn't sell, they can return it to you. So <laughs> the big publishing companies still have an advantage in bookstores just because it's so the margins are just so tight there. Right. And even now, they're even more selective, I understand. Uh, Michael Hyatt talks a lot about self-publishing and publishing companies that uh, the big publishers won't even talk to an author unless they can show they've got a following on um, the Internet, either right. through a blog, uh, social media, and so on. And if you don't have that, they don't even talk to you about your book. Even It, it could be like the best book about how to save the humpback whale. I don't know. Any any topic, any topic. It could be you know <laughs> next bestseller. It could be the next Hunger Games, whatever. But if you don't have that following, they don't even talk to you. Is what I've learned or heard. I don't, have you come yeah, across that? Well, I mean, it's the the thing is that the booksellers have worked out that if people have already got a platform of some kind, then that's fantastic for them because that's the hardest thing to do right. to get. There's no risk. If you've got for your tri- tribe of followers, then they will buy your book. <laughs> uh, and then you get into Amazon charts, and then you've got, you'll get. But if you're going with somebody totally unknown, even though they may be the world's best expert and it may be the world's best written book, then you can see, yeah, they're not, they're not going to invest in that. Yeah. So you started your own publishing company, and now basically you help people learn how to self-publish and to get their works out there. Yeah, that's more or less the idea of what I'm doing. The practice is a whole other thing. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean, uh, I, I've mainly used it for self-publishing my own books. Uh, and you don't need a publishing company to do self-publishing your own books. Uh, I did it that way because my company is kind of like for everything else I do as well. So if I do consulting on things, it can all go through the company. Mm-hmm. But you can just do, you can go on to, it's called Kindle Direct Publishing and just publish, self-publish an ebook fairly easily. I mean, it's a free service. Right. Um, now, one of the one of the issues with self-publishing is that it's a bit like the door is swung open in that anybody can self-publish and anybody does self-publish. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, and the funny thing is that it's not a case that self-published books are inherently worse than traditionally published books. And in fact, there are some, there is a small um, little section of self-published authors who actually their books are considerably superior to traditionally published books, only in as much as, it, to them, it's like a labour of love, a uh, labour of love even. Right. Uh, and they're spending, like, on all sorts of editors for books, multiple edits, um, multiple cover designers. They like, pay thousands of dollars for, like, the best person who designed Stephen King's covers. Right. Um, and they go for, like, the hardcore uh, sort of, print runs and there, I mean, there are self publishers who really do go to extremes that a traditional publisher wouldn't do because it's not economic for them right. to spend loads of money on a book. <laughs> Your name's so not Stephen King. And then, 
Yeah. <laughs> and then there's the get rich quick people um, who just basically get somebody in the Far East to ghostwrite something that they copied off the internet. They shove <laughs> it on the Kindle store right. and see if they can make money that way. Uh, now that approach isn't that approach did work a few years back when the so-called Kindle Gold Rush, when people were just kind of shoving in like any old rubbish and making money on the on the right. Amazon store. But that doesn't really work anymore. Right. Uh, but that did really lower the reputation of a lot of self-published books. So if people want to learn more about kind of what you've done and and your your method of self-publishing. What's the best way to get a hold of you? Well. Uh, if you want to learn, you can listen to my podcast, which is the Begin Self-Publishing Podcast. Um, you can email me at Tim Lewis at Stoneham Press, uh, and it's Stoneham as in uh, the name of the hospital I was born in, not as in two, <laughs> not as in a stone and a bit of a pig. Uh, but it's kind <laughs> which of, is what I had thought. Sorry, it's all one word: <laughs> Stoneham, on. Stoneham Press. And um, you can find me on Twitter at Stoneham Press, or there is a Begin SP Podcast Twitter account. Um, I've also got stonepress.com and beginselfpublishing.com as two websites. So you can go and have a look at them. I've got a blog about random stuff on Stone and Press, which <laughs> nothing about books or um, things like creating customized gifts and the like is on is on my website. And oh, then cool. Begin Self Publishing is all about self publishing, and there's a lot of marketing advice on there as well. Each every two weeks, I interview somebody or I may even be changing the format to make it much more training related soon. So that's, that's my podcast. That's great. Cool. Well, do you have any projects that you're working on right now? The anything on the horizon, a new book coming out? Yes. Yes. I saw long as no, I'll give you a bit more detail. I, I'm, I'm switching tack. I'm writing a book about social media. Now, but from a slightly different angle, I think from everybody else, which no doubt is probably totally wrong, but that's that. Um, <laughs> one of the things I noticed was I wasn't particularly successful at selling stuff on social media, but I was fantastic at making connections on social media. So I've been interviewing people who've got a promotion via social media or found a new job via social media, uh, had great travel stories based on people they met in social media, and people have found love from social media. <laughs> oh, wow. So I'm in the process of interviewing people and I'm going to compile them all together in a big book uh, and release that as a book uh, with my own lessons. Because, I, I mean, I've got little part-time jobs off social media. I've seen people get career progression through social media. Right. Uh, and it's just a really interesting topic to me. So let's say you're you're in your rut, but you want to move to another job where you're in a bigger rut or a bigger, bigger groove. <laughs> yeah, there you go. So, your groove has turned into a rut um, and you want to go to a new groove. Now, what you could do is you could do what everybody does and start looking for advertised jobs. Mm -hmm. Or you could go onto, say, LinkedIn or Twitter and look for people who are in hiring roles in the company that you want to go to. Mm -hmm. So I'll give the example of Google, but it could be Apple. It could be Amalgamated Bridgeware Limited if you were making fridges or something. And then you can start making connections with people on social media because they say, and I don't know if this is true. I think it was Stan Miller keeps saying that 70% of jobs are never advertised. Yeah. I used to hire people as part of my role. And I tell you, if you know somebody, that is such an advantage because nobody likes the interview process. If you're an employer, right. you don't like the interview process. 
you don't like the stress of it. And if you already know somebody and you can give them the job, which some companies won't let you do, but that's a yeah. whole other issue, <laughs> then that's an advantage. And how do you know people? Well, it used to be you went out with the boss's daughter or you played golf or or something along those lines. <laughs> or you went down the pub and you like – I mean, I've known people who've met somebody down the pub and then hired them, right? Uh, which is kind of it's terrible <laughs> in all sorts of yeah. ways. Hmm. But now you've got social media as a way that you can connect with somebody, you can find groups they're in. Um, and I think that's that's where a lot of the power of social media is, rather than trying to have a sales funnel or like sell your product on social media and right. all these things that you hear about. It's making those connections. I like that because, I mean, even the telephone is a, a form of social media because it's a media platform, you know, telecom. Yeah, right. uh, and the whole purpose is connection. And you look at today and a lot of people brag about how many followers they have or uh, how many views they've gotten on YouTube and, and downloads in their podcast. But at, for me, the biggest impact that I've seen with Beyond the Rut, with other people's shows, are, are those moments where we just had a connection like like what we're doing now I mean, we connected through yeah. a facebook page and uh you know I, I didn't keep counting how many people wanted to be a guest on our show but the people we connected with mm-hmm. uh phenomenal stories and just insights that we would never have thought of if we just stuck with our normal usual shtick if you will i brag about how many people have blocked me on twitter yeah Starting with Rob Lowe. <laughs> <laughs> well, once he announces you and the Emmys as somebody to block, you'll there be you like the number one. <laughs> that, on yeah. He's like, thank you for this, but I need you guys to go to Twitter and block this guy. <laughs> I could just see my Twitter going, do, 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 do. <laughs> That would just be awesome. <laughs> I, I'd take it. It'd be nice. I'd yeah. love it. I think you could put like hashtag public enemy number one. <laughs> on the, the number one block guy on Twitter. <laughs> How to get, that's my next podcast. How to get people to block you on Twitter. Oh, man. Uh, what was that movie? How to, um, uh, it, I can't remember the title. It was like How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. That, yeah. that was it. Yeah. yeah. How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. How to get blocked on Twitter in 10 Less minutes. Than 10 days. <laughs> just see if you get blocked by everybody on Twitter and then yeah. your account uh, will just be like, uh, exactly. Nothing. Yeah. Following 6 million people, followers zero. <laughs> Oh man! Even the podcast account's not following me on Twitter. <laughs> Your own podcast yeah. account—that'd be awesome. Even uh, the spammers are not. Uh, yeah, there you go. Uh, well, thanks, Tim. It was great to meet you. Thanks for joining us from yeah. London, and uh, we appreciate you uh, taking out time today for us. And I know that people are going to love getting all of this content. And and I know somebody out there wants to publish a book or just find out the process. And maybe they have a yeah. drawer with a bunch of resignation letters in it. They need to pull one out and go take that in and and take that leap and see what they can find. And we're going to have in the show notes all the ways to get in touch with you and the ways to uh, kind of connect with your podcast too. And we just really appreciate you coming on today. Well, it's been a pleasure being on your show. So, be great. Now, if you liked everything you heard in this episode, be sure to check out the show notes at beyondtherut.com slash 127. There you'll find links to Tim Lewis's website, southampress.com, where you can see how he is publishing his own works. But also check out his podcast, which is called Begin Self-Publishing. And we'll put the links there for iTunes and for Stitcher and for Google Play Music and all that good stuff. Wherever he's got that show and those major players, I'll put the link in the show notes there for, for you. And if you want to reach out to him, we'll put his social media links in as well. 
Now, you may come across somebody who is coming across um, that desire to, to leap out in faith, to open up their own business, to pursue a dream, whether it's to open a, a nonprofit organization, or maybe they just want to travel the world for a year or two. Let them hear this message, especially that story about Tim's wife and, and how she, at the end of her life, let Tim realize how fragile life is and how short it is. Because that's the truth for all of us. Life is short. And you don't want to finish life saying to yourself, man, I wish I had gotten up and tried it. You don't want anybody to go for that. So share this with them. Share that message with them. And let them be inspired to go out there and live the life they've always dreamed of beyond the rut. Take care. And if you guys are ready, ready? One, two, three, lie. We we should get a red light outside this room, too. That'd be awesome. Exactly. (laughs) On air. In in the new recording studio, we will. Okay. Okay. Here we go in three, two, one. You know, the best thing I love about Cap Show is that they have one of the best communities ever. As a Cap Showian myself... I always get invited to masterminds with industry leaders to get the insights and marketing strategies that take my business to the next level. Plus, they love surprising and delighting us. Go to beyondtherut.com slash capshow, that's C-A-P-S-H-O, and start your 14-day free trial with the Capshow team today and join me inside that community.